Carlos. So those of you who like are new or just kind of in and out catching up with us, we're in Jonah chapter 4. So here's kind of Jonah's story in a nutshell up to this point. Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah runs away and takes a boat 2,000 miles in the opposite direction to go to Tarshish. Okay? While in the boat, while fleeing God's will, while ignoring God, disobeying God, running from God, God steps in, sends this big storm to turn, to turn Jonah around. Jonah is thrown overboard. God mercifully saves him. And by consuming him with a fish to save him from drowning, Jonah then has a change of heart in the fish. Jonah goes to Nineveh now, as if you're going to say no now. And he preaches the worst sermon ever in Jonah chapter 3. And the people still repent, thanks to God and his mercy. Now we enter Jonah chapter 4. Jonah has left the city, so the city of Nineveh has repented. They've turned to God. They've, they they want to worship God now. Jonah leaves the city, and now we get into Jonah chapter 4. So we're going to take it piece by piece, and I think it'll be on the board for you to read along if you want. But if you're taking notes, Jonah chapter 4, we're going to read 1 and 2. Whoa. All right, here we go. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it great, this greatly displeased Jonah, this, is, this being the city of Nineveh repenting, changing their mind, turning to the Lord. But this greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to stop this, I fled to Tarshish, because I knew that you were a, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who stops disaster. So, okay, let's back up for a minute. Jonah has gotten what every single pastor, prophet, worship leader wants. A, a day where his sermon has brought about a national day of repentance. Like, do you not hear this in the sanctuary all the time from like the pastor and like the deacons and like people older than you? Like, we just need a, a national day where the, where the whole nation will turn to God. That's what Jonah gets. Jonah literally gets a national day of repentance, a whole country. Uh, Nineveh has between 100,000 and 400,000 people. Jonah gets the biggest megachurch ever, and they're all Christians. This is like a pastor's dream. And his reaction is that he's furious about this. He's completely angry about this amazing thing happening. First lesson, okay? And please listen, my emotionally stay unstable Whatever you guys are, you're not millennials. Um, and I'm emotionally unstable too, it's okay. Lesson one, sometimes our anger or our emotions are completely out of line with what God says is right. Sometimes our anger, specifically with Jonah, sometimes our anger and our emotions are completely out of line with what God says is right. Look at verse four. He says, the Lord says, do you have a good reason to be angry? Sometimes we get so mad at things in our lives. And sometimes that's okay. But other times we need to check God's word and ask ourselves, is this something that God would be mad about? Or, or if it's something God would be mad about, is it something that God would be this mad about? We have to take our emotions and we have to put them under God's word. We have to take our emotions and say, however your word says that I need to feel about this, help me feel that way. 
Because I know it's not like, it's not like, oh, well, Ryan said that I need to have different emotions, so, okay. I know it's not like that. I don't work like that either. But you have to begin somewhere by looking at God's Word and saying, this anger that I'm feeling that's, that's just like drowning me, or this, this intense thing that I feel, is this how God would feel about this situation? And if it's not, we have to get under what His Word says about it. Because you and I definitely get mad at things that God doesn't get mad at, right? Like this is a perfect example with Jonah. Like the whole nation has repented and Jonah is furious. Jonah is clearly out of step with God. But then the flip side, we're cool with so many things that God is furious with. So our emotions are so out of sync with what God's Word teaches. And this is the first thing. we have Because the, what culture will tell you is there's no way you can control your emotions. That's how I feel. But the Bible over and over again commands us to love, commands us to weep, commands us to rejoice. God can command our, our emotions, and He has the ability to help us line those up. You see in 3.10, in 3.10 it says, When God saw their repentance, that they turned from their wicked ways, God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared, and He did not do it. And then in 4.1 it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. So God sees Nineveh repent, and God relents his anger. God finds peace. God's happy about this. Jonah sees Nineveh repenting, and it makes him angry. The Scriptures are driving a wedge between Jonah and God. They are on two very different pages. Now, let's look at why Jonah's angry. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said... While I was still in my own country. Therefore, to stop this, I fled to Tarshish. Let me, let me, so, so this is Jonah talking about back in the beginning, back in chapter 1. He says, is this not what I said when I was back in my own country? Why does he say it like that? Why doesn't he say, is this not what I said back at the beginning? Is this, not, is this not what I said when you came to me the first time? He specifically says, is this not what I said when I was back in my own country? What country is that? Um, we learn from chapter 1, verse 9, that Jonah is a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. 2 Kings 14 tells us he's from Israel. So, so put that in there. When I was back in Israel, I told you this. This is the key. This is why Jonah brings this up. Because Israel was the people of God. Genesis, Exodus, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all over the Bible it says, um, you will be my people and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. Israel, not Nineveh. And that's Jonah's point here. I told you when I was in Israel with your people, that's the tone. Why are you doing this, God? They're not your people. They don't do what we do. They don't act the way we act. Jonah knows that Israel is God's people, not Nineveh. Uh, you grow up learning that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because Jonah's afraid. Jonah's not afraid. Jonah's a racist. But more than a racist. Now, here's where we get to talk about politics for a second, which is going to be awesome. Um, Jonah's not a racist. Jonah's a nationalist. Okay, And that nationalism has led to racism. But here's what this means. He associates God's grace with a particular nation of people. While I was in my own country, we talked about this, God. You see, you see the tone? You see what's happening? 
So if you're not in this nation, you don't get God's grace. That's Jonah's system. That's Jonah's whole way of thinking. If you're in this nation, if you're in this group, if you do these things, you get God's grace. I get God's grace because I'm from Israel. You hear it. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 9. Jonah chapter 1, verse 9. The, the sailors ask him where he's from, and Jonah says, He said to them, I am a Hebrew, Israelite, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And you can hear the violin from oceans like playing, and he's really there. Wow. That's what he says. I fear the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. And that's a nice way of saying it, except for while he's saying that, he's on a boat to Tarshish away from God. He's ignoring God. He's running from God. He's disobedient to God. So why is he talking about God so nicely here? Because he's not saying it out of worship. He's saying it out of arrogance to these foreign pagan sailors. This is what nationalism does. It takes the grace that God has shown your country or your group and it turns it into a tool for arrogance to use on other people. This is what nationalism does. It takes the grace that God has shown your country or your group and it turns it into a tool for arrogance to use against other people. I know you guys are young, but by the time you get out of high school, you've pretty much made your decision on things. So this is why I want to talk to you about this. Um, we have to be very careful to remember this as a church and in America. We must be so careful and so courageous when nationalism comes up. And listen, I love America. You don't see me turning in my visa or my citizenship. I love America. And Jeremiah 29 tells us to seek the prosperity for the city that we are in. Seek the prosperity. Seek the good for the city that you're in. Seek the good for the country that you have been placed. It does not say, seek to bash the country that you live in on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. Seek the good and trust God where you are. But we need to remember what Jonah has forgotten with so many people who are a generation ahead of you have forgotten. When Christians die, they don't go to America. Revelation doesn't talk about the new heavens and the new America. Our final citizenship is in the new heavens and the new earth with God. Peter tells, listen, this is, this is to Jews, this is to Gentiles, and a Gentile is anyone that's not Jewish. Peter tells everyone. 1 Peter 2.9 but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. When you become a Christian, you become linked unbreakably with people all over the world and all over time. Have you ever thought about that? All over time, from different places. And you are first a citizen of a heavenly country while you live in a physical one. Does that make sense? You're a citizen of a heavenly country while we live in a physical one. And the king of that heavenly country is our savior and our hope. There's nothing wrong with caring about your country. Please don't go home and be like, Ryan said America sucks, so I hate everything that you stand for, Dad. So, uh, and like, 
listen to Skillet in your room because you're so cool. Like, that's not the message. Like, I get to go bash America now. No, you're not doing Jeremiah 29. 29. You're not seeking the good of your city and the good around you, right? And it's okay to want change. It's okay to want things to change. But bashing is not okay. Bashing the other side is, how does that promote the good? Does that make sense? God commands us in Romans and Jeremiah to care about our country, not to bash it. Listen, but when our country or our political party overshadows the gospel, goes against the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christians must be courageous and remember that the Bible is more important than the Declaration of Independence or the Magna Carta. It's more important. And I really do. I think, so like, all right, notes here, and this is just so okay. Um, I really think part of the reason some of your parents are so angry and some of your grandparents are even angrier is because this idea that it's not so much voting for a political party anymore, it's voting for a savior. This person will make everything right. Man, woman, black, white, whatever. This person will fix everything. This person will put things back where they need to be. Look at me. That's Jesus' job. Government is good. Government is the hand of God. Romans 13, I think. It's a good thing. It's not what I'm not saying. Again, you go like, we're making picket signs, Mom. It's not what I'm saying, right? But I am saying that one of the issues, one of the reasons people are so mad at each other all the time is because it's not political parties fighting anymore. It's God's. Of course you're going to get mad when your God is threatened, right? You know people, when they date somebody, they just disappear off the face of the earth? It's because they found a God, not a boyfriend or girlfriend. Of course you're going to lay down your life for that. And too often, please don't get hung up on the dating thing. That's February, okay? But too often we put our hope in the country, in the political party. And that's why everyone is so mad, right? That's something that Jonah clearly warns against. Your identity is not, he's put his identity, he's an Israelite. This doesn't make sense to an Israelite. How could this be? How could you save these people? When we start talking these people, that's when we don't see through the lens of grace. All right, I'm beat it to death. I gotta keep going. Um, so, Jonah's nationalism has blinded him to how Israel became a nation in the first place. And this is what's crazy. This is how Israel became a nation in the first place. You don't have to turn there, but you may want to write a note down. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. This is God saying why he chose Israel as his people. And the reason this is important is because how Israel became a country is the same way that you become a Christian. All right? So, follow this. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. The Lord did not set his love on you, Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the least of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you. That's it. God did not choose and love Israel because Israel was strong or special. They were weak and insignificant. It says the fewest of all people. When God chose King David, David wasn't the oldest or the strongest in his family. David wasn't even in the room. God chose Abel, not Cain, who was older and stronger. God chose Jacob, not Esau, who was older and stronger. God chose David, not Saul. God chose Joseph, the youngest of the time. Redemptive history, all of redemptive history, 
from the Bible in Abraham's day all the way up to my own life is marked not by a bunch of guys who deserve a gold star so God saved them. The Bible is marked by God giving His mercy and grace to men and women who did not deserve it, who weren't even thinking about it, and who didn't even fully appreciate it when it came. And Jonah is the exact same way. Jonah didn't choose to be born an Israelite. Israel didn't earn their salvation. Deuteronomy, they were the lowest, but God loved them. And when you understand that the only thing that makes you a Christian is God's love for you, when you understand that the only thing keeping you from hell is what Jesus did for you and not your actions, and His love for you is what locks you to Him forever, you stop acting like Jonah so much. It's no longer, how could these people not see what I saw? You stop acting like the older brother and the prodigal son. Jonah thinks if Nineveh acted more like Israel, then Nineveh would be saved. But he's forgotten how Israel was saved in the first place. Look at Jonah chapter three, I'm sorry, Jonah chapter four, verses three through four. Jonah chapter four, verses three through four. And when I find it, We'll read it. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than life. And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Jonah gets the megachurch. Jonah gets the pastor's dream. The whole country is revived, and he is suicidal. Jonah's pride and sin have clouded his judgment so that he cannot see or trust the ways of God. Again, verse 4, God says, Do you have a good reason to be angry? God is saying, Does your anger line up with who I am? Is what you're angry with lining up with my word? Let me talk to you. Beach camp, collide, fields of faith, where you're just where you feel it, right? Oh, play reckless love again, right? And again and again and again and again. And you're just in it, right? Ask yourself, are your emotions, emotions are good, that's part of who we are. God has emotions. Are your emotions lining up with God's word? Are your emotions Lining up with God's word. Verses 5 through 6. 5 through 6. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and grew it up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. All right, Jonah goes to the east. Not good in the Old Testament. Uh, Adam and Eve were sent east of Eden after they sinned. Cain was sent to the east after he killed Abel. Any Israelite reading this saying he went to the east, like, oh man. Um, it's like dark and stormy night in our day. It's not like, oh, this, this is a comedy, right? He goes to the east, you know this is not good. Um, to see what would happen to the city. This is weird. Why? You can't see. The people are repenting. You can't see people repenting from this far off. You can't see a city repent from this far away. But you can watch it be destroyed. Jonah is so angry that he is sitting, watching, hoping the city will be destroyed in God's fiery wrath. He hates these people. Is this not exactly what happens in the story of the older brother and the prodigal son? The foolish sinner gets rescued, becomes a Christian, while the other one who should have acted like a Christian this whole time 
won't come inside. It's the exact same story. The older brother says, work hard and God will bless you. Jonah says, work hard and God will bless you. The younger brother gets saved when he turns to God and asks for forgiveness. And the older brother can't handle it. It totally destroys his system. It completely destroys his system of works. And while Jonah hates this city of people, God creates a plant that gives Jonah shade. And this makes Jonah happy. This is the only time the word happy is used in the entire book. And it's to describe a thing that makes Jonah feel better. But then, <sighs> tragedy strikes. Verse 7, but, the God, but God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant. Oh, that's graphic. And it withered. Verse 8, when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better than life. A worm appointed by God destroys the plant, and Jonah is hot, and he is so devastated that he wishes to die. Back in verse 3 of chapter 4, Jonah says, Take my life, for death is better than life. This is when an entire city of people repented. Now in verse 8, he says, Death is better in, than life. And this is when a plant died. Alright, so follow this. Here's where this is important. Ooh, that's loud. All right. Jonah feels the exact same way about a group of people that he does about a plant. And Jonah says that God is the one who's acting crazy. Verses 9 through 10. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have reason enough to die. Ooh. Then the Lord said, you did, not, you did not work. Hang on. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. I am angry enough to die. Just like the older brother, God has completely destroyed Jonah's system. Jonah's system is, if you're one of God's people, if you do the, you're one of God's people, if you do the good stuff and stay away from the bad stuff, then God will save you. That's his system. And by God saving Nineveh, this brutal, sinful people, by calling those people to himself, God has broken Jonah's system, and Jonah can't handle it. Jonah can't handle the grace of God. This isn't fair. You should save people like me, like Israel, not the Ninevites. But God is showing Jonah the whole time, Jonah, you're not good. If I tried to save people based on how they were good, I couldn't save you. Your pride, your love of comfort, your nationalism, your false anger, you didn't even know you had this until I brought it out. We sing and we talk about the grace of God all the time. Most of you, literally just about all of you, myself included, are church kids. And we go to church and we learn the grace of God and we learn that Jesus loves us and we learn that he died for our sin and we learn all about his grace and his mercy. But I bet you $5,000 that when his mercy actually enters your life, 
your first reaction is going to be, get this away from me. Because you don't understand what it means to truly be loved this deeply. To be understood this deeply. And we're going to talk more about this next week. But think about it. Jonah's a prophet. He knows about the grace of God more than anybody. And when finally the grace of God, Jonah gets to embody the grace of God and be the grace of God to someone else, Jonah says, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to handle it. I'm not going to deal with this. This isn't fair. I don't understand this. The grace of God is powerful. But when you think about power, we just think of it as it's powerful enough to where I can understand it, to where I can get my arms around it. I wonder if some of you maybe are going through stuff right now, and the reason you're going through stuff, follow me, the reason you're going through stuff is because the grace of God is working. The grace of God is working right now. Follow this. Okay, the thing that, all right, help me out, theologians. The thing in here that that Jonah, what is the thing that everybody focuses on the most in Jonah? The what? The well. It's Hebrew for fish, but we'll talk about it later. Um, So, Follow this. That's okay. That was good. This was fine. I'm glad you didn't say, like, his sandals. Like, I'm glad you said the right thing. So, okay, here's, here's the thing, okay? And again, notes are here. I'm here. I just, I, we got to talk for a second. Um, here it is. Listen to me, okay? He, li- he gets swallowed by a fish, y'all, okay? We can agree this is a problem, okay? We can agree this is an issue. And it's there that Jonah's heart changes. Listen to me. I wish someone had told me this when I was a kid in youth. There will be days, there will be seasons in life where it feels like God is killing you and that's when he's saving you. Where he has literally pulled the rug out from everything you trust in. And it's to show you, you can't trust this. You have to hold on to me. People go through their entire lives like Jonah like the older brother, with their system, and God never breaks in in grace and shatters it. So they think their whole lives they're trusting God when they're really just trusting this, and God finally has to pull it out from it. That's what he's doing with Jonah. Jonah has had his system his whole life, and he thinks that that will save him, and the Lord breaks that system so that all Jonah has left is God. There will be, and we're going to talk more about this next week, There will be seasons in your life, long seasons, short seasons, long seasons, where it feels like God is killing you. And that is when He's saving you. Now, I'm not trying to make God out to be a bully or a kid with the magnifying glass where He's trying to burn you and and he's, He's just a jerk. But think about it. The only way, and I use this example all the time, but it's never gonna click until it happens, so I gotta keep repeating it. I gotta repeat to myself. The only way... A heart surgeon can operate on your heart is when he exposes it. Does that make sense? He can't like, well, we can't fix it. Like he's got to cut in to see it, to work on it. And when you're angry with God, when you're going through it, when your system is broken, why are you doing that? Why are you not fixing that? You see how your heart's exposed. Now he can begin to work. This trial, this bad thing in your life, This knife that's meant to kill you in God's hands, it cuts so that he can perform surgery. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying you got to get out of here and high five. This is, oh, yeah, surgery. Like, I'm not saying you have to get out of here and celebrate and it's awesome. These are deep things. These are deep things. 
As a high schooler, I'd be like, you need to chill out, purple shirt man. I don't know what's going on, okay? But as you get older, I love talking to high school. I love you guys. Listen, 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 listen. As you get older, this will happen. Some of you guys are like almost half my age, and you've been through twice what I've been through. But this will happen. God's grace will reach in, and you won't want it to, but he loves you too much to pull away, and he'll keep reaching in. And it's going to be painful, and it's going to expose things, and you're not going to understand what's going on. And it's going to feel like you're falling. That's when he's saving you. That's when he's rescuing you. When it feels like he's completely turned his back. Think about with Jesus on the cross. He says, why, did you, why have you forsaken me? And the Lord says, nothing. But in that moment, that's when God is doing his deepest work with Christ on the cross. And in your life, when you cry out to God and there's no response, or it keeps getting worse, the drill keeps drilling, that's when he's doing his deepest work in your life. Does that make sense? You feel me on that? You will. You will. Come time, you will. And I'll be here. And this will be here. And Jonah will be here. And you'll remember, my awful, boring youth pastor said something about this one time. So let's go back. All right. God is saying to Jonah, I didn't save Israel because they're good. They were the lowest, the most insignificant. I saved them because I love them. Nineveh was so out there with their sin. Just obvious, right? You know Ninevites. You do. People who could give a rip. And that's, that they are where they are. And God is saying, I didn't save them because they were good. I saved them because I'm compassionate. I'm slow to anger. I'm overflowing with kindness. I saved them because I love them. Well, you can't save people because you love them. That's not fair. You can't just save people because you love them. That's not fair. Okay, fine. I'll save them because they're good. Show me someone who's good, Jonah, and I'll save them. Romans 3 says there is none who is good. Psalms 14, there is none who does good. We are all like Jonah. We all have our system. And we fail our own system. This is the thing. We fail our own system. Jonah doesn't think people who are prideful and sinful should be saved. What's he been doing the whole book? Maybe it's not nationalism for you. Maybe it's lust or gossip or pride or anger or a mixture of all of those. Jonah has a broken system. Jonah's system is you can't save a sinful, prideful, foolish person, and yet Jonah has been sinful, prideful, and foolish. If salvation was up to Jonah, guess who's out? Jonah. If God is supposed to save us because we're good, then we're never getting saved. But God says, Jonah, if the reason I save people is because I love them, why do you think I saved you? He loves us when we don't love him back. That is insane. To love someone when they don't like you, to love someone when it hurts, makes no sense. And that's how God feels about everyone. This is the God we worship. God's system is one of mercy and grace. And that's so much better than any other system that you can come up with. Because you see, if salvation is based on a system, then you better have it together 
when you get in here. But if God works based on His love, then it doesn't matter how you came in here. Angry for the wrong reasons, lustful for the wrong reasons, you know, doing stuff for whatever on the weekend that you don't tell the small group about or whatever, hanging out with people maybe you don't need to be hanging out with, looking at stuff on the internet you don't need to be looking at, Awana medals galore, it doesn't matter. Because it's God who rescues, it's God who saves. Whether you're a nice hypocrite like Jonah and the older brother, or you relate more to the people of Nineveh, like it's just out there. God can save you. That's what Jonah is about. It's about us. Whether you know it or not, you have a system in your soul that you trust in. It's one of two systems. No matter how enlightened you feel, how many videos you've watched on YouTube, you fall into one of two categories. Either you're the people of Nineveh or you're Jonah. Either you just could give a rip and you live it up and that's what you think will bring you the most joy or you work hard because you think that's how God will bless you. You see how neither of these systems involve loving God? And then you come face to face with God and it changes everything. He breaks your system. He's a God who doesn't say about himself, I'll do what I want, thank you very much. He's a God who says, I am merciful and kind to those who seek me, to those who would turn from their sin and seek me, no matter who they are, Jonah or Nineveh, I'll be there. I think Jonah did get saved in the end, because nobody could write this book that gets as deep into Jonah's head. How's it going to end with you? God saving who He wants to save because He's merciful. Not based on your system of works, not based on you, how well or how poorly you behave, but because of God's love for you. God saving people not based on their behavior, but based on His grace. Is this going to be too much for you to handle? Or will you in thankfulness Give your life to the God who is slow to anger and filled with steadfast love. These are the two choices that we have. These are the two places we can go. I grew up in church my entire life. Um, senior, no, junior year of college, fell in love with a girl. Um, and we dated for two years and we were going to get married. That was my God. I could give a rip. Of, I wasn't a Christian. was not a Christian at all. Um, found my person, I thought, loved my person deeply, but she was of a different religion than I was. And eventually, as I got older, we had to break up because of that. And everything in me was destroyed because that's where it was. That was my person. And he took it away. And I had nothing left but him and he was there, and everything changed. Let me pray. Father.